and we're moving from the, the false prophets to scoffers. Okay, at least in this part for tonight. From the false prophets, which we I think we spent at least three weeks on that last chapter. Could be more, but maybe four weeks. But um, the false prophets that uh, are prophesied to come. And Paul says, I mean, Peter says here, let's read the first two verses. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now, it's interesting to think this is the last thing that, as far as the Bible, that Peter wrote on this earth before the Lord called him home. He was crucified for his Lord and Savior. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds in way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So he's wanting to put their pure minds, he says in King James, in remembrance. Pure means sincere. Okay? This is the second time in this epistle where he has told them that he was trying to stir up their remembrance. Okay? Their remembrance. Look back at chapter 1, just real quickly, in the same epistle, verses 12 and 13. 1, 1, 12 and 13. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in this present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle or in his earthly body to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So here he says it again in chapter 3. The last thing that as far as we know that God considered worthy to, to be in the Bible anyway. And he is telling uh, the believers in his day that I want to stir you up. And he says, though, I know you know it. And that's what we're doing pretty much tonight and every time we meet. For the most part, you would say, you're not hearing something you probably never heard before. You know, you know what I'm saying? We sing about the blood of Jesus. Well, you know about the blood of Jesus, right? We know that He's still mighty to save. These are not, not the, that we don't know these things for the most part. And I know we learn new things and we learn the same things we knew deeper as well. Like we'll come to know the things of God deeper. But, but still, the point is that we're stirring ourselves up in, in the, the Word of God. We're stirring ourselves up in the truth. We're stirring ourselves up in the things of God because everything else floating around us is false and it's a lie and it's temporary and it's passing away and it's vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, Solomon said. It's all going to pass away. And so Peter's like, keep our eyes on the Lord. Stay in the truth. And what does he consider to be the truth? He says in verse 2 that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Okay? The holy prophets were, would have been the Old Testament prophets. Because that's who Peter would have been referring to. And he considers them holy. Look back at chapter 1 as well, verse 19. He says, uh, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And so he's basically what is he saying? He's saying cling to the word of God. Keep keep your heart, your mind, you know, your face buried in the word of God, knowing what what is the will of God. And it's interesting also that he equates the holy prophets, which would have been the Old Testament prophets. And he says, and 
be mindful of the words which were spoken by us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. He's putting the New Testament apostles on par, on level with the, those Old Testament prophets. The Word of God does that. There's not a differentiation between the Old Testament and New Testament, although one is inspired and one's not, or one's a lot better than the other one, or something like that. It's all God's Word. We say the Scripture all the time, but Paul said um, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable, right? For correction, rebuke, and, and so forth. Instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so it's all given by inspiration of God. It's all for us. And we're getting, at least what we're studying right here in Second Peter, we're getting towards the end of the Bible. And he's going to be talking about end times things. That we're just going to scratch the surface of that part tonight. But uh, just keep that in mind. I said there's a real... Uh, Satan tries all, all the ways he can to undermine the truth and the Word of God. Every way imaginable, he tries to undermine it. He does it uh, certainly in the world, you know, through evolution or something like that. The Bible's a bunch of fairy tales. But he does it within the church house as well with uh, liberal uh, thinking and theology and so forth that would tell us that the Old Testament is not relevant for us today. This is not pulling this out of thin air. They're, you know, they're, they're pastors, they're churches, they're denominations, they're groups of people within the church that say it's not relevant to us today. But everything in the Word of God says it is relevant to us today. I mean, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, says, you do greatly err not knowing the Scriptures. Well, what Scriptures was Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. There were none other Scriptures written when He was saying that. Uh, when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch on the, on the, uh, on the road uh, of Gaza, and he, he, he jumps up in the chariot with him, and the man's reading from Isaiah 53, and he begins to expound to him those Scriptures and preach Christ to him from the Old Testament. The man got saved and baptized. And when Jesus rose from the dead um, on that, that resurrection morning, He's walking on the Emmaus Road, and He meets two of His disciples. He, he kind of, they didn't recognize Him because of the, the, the appearance that He had at that time. But He walked with them all day long and expanded, expounded unto them through the Scriptures the things concerning Himself, beginning with Moses and the, and the prophets. All the things concerning Himself. Don't tell me that it's not relevant to us today. That we just need, you know, the, the New Testament and, and so forth. But Peter's saying the same thing here. Be mindful. And he's stirring up our minds and pure minds in way of remembrance. Be mindful of the words spoken before by the Holy Prophets. That would have been Isaiah and Samuel and David prophesied and Ezekiel and all of them. And, and by us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not two different gods. It's not two different books. The God of the Old Testament is not a different God of the God of the New Testament. We're living in, a, in an age on this side of the cross where it's been fulfilled. In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the fulfillment and the first coming of Jesus. He was promised in Genesis chapter 3, way back there. And now we see that He's come and we're looking back like in our rearview mirror and we see the whole thing. It's exciting. Uh, I didn't plan on talking about all that. But <clears throat> I want to... Uh, 
us to look at this for just a minute because the, the Bible is telling us to hang on, okay? To hang on to, uh, to the Word of God. And I would encourage you to, to hang on, okay? To lay in hold, the Bible says, on, lay hold on eternal life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Uh, it's all about like laying hold on this and, and keeping our eyes on the Lord by faith. There's not going to be another epistle that comes after Revelation. There's not going to be added books to the Bible. We have the whole thing. We need to stay in it by faith. The things we don't understand, the things that are deep and we barely understand, God's going to bring that to our our spirit, that revelation knowledge by His Spirit as we continue to walk by Him, with Him by faith. Don't stress over those things. If they're deep things of God, they're deep things of God. I don't understand. But I understand things about God more than I used to. You understand? Even since I've been saved, and I believe that will continue. But we don't have to look elsewhere, is my point. Stay within the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Never leave your first love who is the Lord Jesus, like Ephesus did, and, and be students of the Word. Be Bereans. Study the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. Be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. And be about your Father's business. Be about in this life what He's called you to do. And He's going to keep us, y'all. And, and He says it's like the Word of God is that lamp that's going to light our, our path all the way through it. Some new news, when you get home tonight and turn on the TV, something might rock our world. You know what I'm saying? Remember what it was like at 9-11, how that was, that was something we had never experienced before. Something might, like that or, or different than that might happen today, tomorrow. And, and everything's changed in certain ways, but in some ways nothing's changed because God still has us in His hands. And we need to stay grounded in the truth and in the Word of God. So let's keep reading a little bit. Uh, verse 3. Knowing this first. So in his, in his reminding them of things. This is what he wants to start with right here in this chapter. Knowing this first. That there shall come. So he's prophesying, right? In the last days, scoffers walking after their own lust. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So when you see a scoffer, just a scoffer, you know a scoffer is a mocker. Now, there's unbelievers, a scoffer would be lost, but every lost person is not necessarily a scoffer. They might just be lost and be ignorant, and they're so glad when you bring them the truth. Or they're seeking for God. And you come to them and bring the truth. Or they're seeking for God and someone from a false religion brings them something false and they might follow after that. Um, but a scoffer is a real mocker. Okay, They're going to ridicule. They're going to be a vocal about it. You understand what I'm saying? They're going to scoff and mock. So when you see a scoffer, and I see a scoffer or scoffers on TV or wherever we see them, that is... You can just look and say they are fulfillment of the, the very word of God that they're mocking. They themselves are fulfilling, you know, a fulfillment of what God's word said it would be like in the end times. 
That's not the only characteristic of the end times, but it's one of the characteristics of the end times. And Peter says, know this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. And so, um, I would just ask you tonight, I'm not asking for an audible answer, but I just want to uh, uh, question and throw out there. What does the Bible say the characteristics of the end times will be like? And just think about it. The Scriptures, that's the only thing we, we can trust in, right? The Scriptures. Does it speak of a universal or worldwide revival? No, it does not. It does not mean, I say this all the time, I'm not gloom and doom in the sense that I don't believe there can, there's nothing the Bible says there won't be revival. Okay, we read about big revivals in our country or the Welch revivals and things like that. Revivals in, in uh, Ezra's day, Nehemiah's day. Uh, certainly you would say when the church was birthed in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, things like that. It does not mean that those things can't happen. And I'm believing for that. As long as the the Lord is still moving in His church on the earth and the gospel's going forth. There can be revival. But the characteristic, if you want to look at the whole world as a whole, what does the Bible say? We, we get scriptures like this that there's going to be scoffers. Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The last days, y'all, is the days in which we're living. You say, well, preacher have been, preachers have been saying that for 2,000 years, and they were right. If preachers have been saying that for 2,000 years, they're right. Because the last days, the latter days, the end times, the, whatever the phrase the Bible uses for that period of time, is the time from the resurrection of Jesus, okay, which that is a historical event that's happened, till this, the second coming of the Lord, or... Or you could say if you want to lump together, and a lot of times the Bible will lump together, say the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, even the millennium, the new heaven and earth. Peter's going to do that in this chapter. He kind of lumps that all together as a future return of the Lord. Okay? But from the, from the resurrection of Jesus on, in, out of the tomb on resurrection morning till that time, which will start with the rapture. Okay? That's where we living in that time. Obviously, we're living in that time. So I don't have to be prophetic or have some private uh, knowing from the Lord to know that I'm living in the last days. And the, the, the Bible would tell me that's where I'm living. Okay? And so uh, there's going to be scoffers. Paul says it's perilous times. It's going to be perilous times. Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. Many will claim to be Christ." and are claimed to know where he is. He's out in the desert. He's in this inner chamber. You know, something like that. Um, Paul also said that uh, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so that's another uh, quick little snapshot of the end times. We could go on and on about it, but Peter is saying here, one of the main things is there are going to be scoffers. And what are they scoffing at? Are they just saying you Christians are stupid? Yes, they are saying that. But what specifically are they saying? Um, is they're saying, where is the promise of His coming? We've heard you Christians talk about the coming of the Lord. We're sick of hearing you talk about the coming of the Lord. We don't believe it. He hasn't come. So to them, 
because he hasn't come yet, they equate that to me. He's not going to come. That certainly he would have come if he could have come, wanted to come, if he was real, if he was a real God, had any intentions of coming to the earth, he would have come by now. Where is the promise of his coming? And we can say, hey, you know what? You're a fulfillment of prophecy right there. Let me show you this scripture in the Bible. 2,000 years ago, the Lord wrote about you. <laughs> you know, because he said you were going to say that exact same thing. And it's, it's the, the scoffing that specifically here that he's talking about, about the Lord's second coming. We're living in that time. It's an exciting time to be a Christian. It's a perilous time, but it's an exciting time. And no matter what this world or hell or the devil or the God of this world or one world religion, no matter what all that antichrist, the spirit of antichrist, all that's thrown against your life and my life, the Lord said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Is not going to happen. He said it. And so we are confident. And we're going to be the weakest little, newest little believer, youngest little child believer. Uh, somebody just got saved and they don't know the, the New Testament from the Old Testament. They, you know, they're strong in the Lord. If they will keep their eyes on Jesus, He'll keep them. He'll keep them through all that's coming. I want to read a couple of quotes from this book that I'm reading. And studying, he says it had, it had been a predict it had been predicted again and again by both the prophets and the apostles that in the last days there would be those who would utterly repudiate the truth of a divine revelation as to the return of the Lord. Lord, the, these scoffers would hate the truth because it interfered with their own selfish desires. The truth, if somebody's living in sin. And they, and somebody brings the truth, and their heart is soft, and they, they want out of their sin. And you say, well, there's a way out. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He can forgive you of all your sins and break the chains of sin from off your life and make you righteous and holy. And they say, oh, I need that. And they call on the Lord; they'll be saved. But somebody that loves their sin says in John 3, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Neither would they turn to the light. They wouldn't come to it. It's not that they didn't see the light. It's that when they saw it, they wanted no part of it because men love darkness rather than light. There are those, right? There are those that love their darkness. And anytime you Christians come around and start preaching the, the gospel, it interferes with my fornication that I like to commit. It interferes with my adultery. It interferes with my drunkenness. It interferes with my lying. It interferes, interferes with my pornography. It interferes with my selfishness and cheating on my income taxes and embezzling. You know, it interferes with my music that I like to listen to and the friends I like. They, they don't want that. And so, the, that's not a new thing. You know, there's always been that. And it's, it's just like Paul on Mars Hill. What does this babbler have to say? You know, let's bring him up in here and hear what, hear what he has to say. And so there's this real um, mocking. They hate the truth because it shines the light on their corruption. But if they would turn to the Lord, He would remove the corruption. It's a, it's really an amazing thing. 
And, and it's interesting, you've heard it said before, the same heat or the same sunshine that, that hardens clay, it melts wax. You know, it's the same sunshine. Once hardened, once melted and becomes soft. Yeah, we don't change the message though, do we? The Lord didn't change the message. In the last days, they're going to be scoffers. So should I change the message to appeal to a scoffer? Or should I preach the gospel? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. There's not another gospel uh, of salvation. There's not a, another Savior. And so for the scoffer as well for the, for the that, them that might be um, desperate in their sin, longing for a way out, the same message is going to be preached. There's not another one. And so, uh, we see that, uh, th that there, there's, there's ridicule even within a lot of contemporary churches. They don't preach about the rapture of the Lord. Talking about the coming. There are churches that scoff. An amillennialist church believes that the, they just, ah means like that prefix just negates what follows. So an amillennialist does not believe in a literal millennium. But the Bible tells us in Revelation uh, 20, it, uh, it talks about a thousand year reign that the believer is going to reign and rule with him a thousand years. And Isaiah speaks of the millennial kingdom. It's spoken of. And yet there, there are liberal churches that say uh, it's just a figure of speech. You know, kind of like the creation and the flood. Those are just a primitive ways of expressing God's creative power or something like that. And it's all just washed away like a big fairy tale. And we can't do that with the Word of God. Why don't you just wash away the cross and the blood of Jesus as well and the resurrection? Why are you choosing which parts you want to wash away? Because some, somebody named Darwin said that uh, origin of species, this is how life and creation came to be. And, and so it, that so now you're going to throw away what God's word says. How can you be a Christian? You understand what I'm saying? It's these truths that we stand upon. But they're liberal Christians that mock, uh, don't preach the rapture. They don't believe in the rapture. They don't believe in the literal second coming. They think spiritually that uh, Amillennialist, for example, believes that Christians are going to subdue the earth. In other words, Christians are going to gain so much authority on the planet in government and schools and teachers and universities and city councils and judges that Christians are going to rise to this level of authority to where the earth submits to us. These world systems and worldly people submit to us and we basically Christianize it. Not evangelize where they're inwardly born again, but where lost men are subdued and then we can usher in Christ to return. We got it all ready for you, Jesus. We've got everything subdued. We can't subdue our own selves or suppress our own sin or control our own temper without the Lord. It's not what's spoken of in the Bible. The, the Bible speaks of a literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these scoffers are not only out in the world, there are scoffers in the church. Uh, they would call themselves Christians. I can't judge every single person's heart if they're saved or lost. But those that within the heading of Christianity that would say this as well. 
You, you know, you at Cornerstone Church, y'all need to get your heads out of the, the sand, all that stuff about the rapture and, you know, and, and the second coming. It's up to us to get out there. Kingdom now. It's kingdom now theology. This kingdom's here now. We just haven't quite got it to a place of authority to where we can invite him back, basically. Or where he looks and says, you've done a good job. Thanks for getting it ready for me. I can come back now. But I read in Revelation 19, we're going to be following him. He's not following us. On a white horse. He's coming back. And he's going to tread the wine press of God alone. And you know he's going to take care of it uh, at the second coming. Not us getting it ready for him. And so, they're absolutely ignorant. This is, this is what it says. I'm not making fun. Look at the Bible. And saying, where is the promise, verse 4, of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of time. For this they willingly are ignorant. Okay? They're ignorant. And they're ignorant not in their intelligence. They might have a very high IQ. But when it comes to spiritual things, I've said it before, the, the newest believer... The most uneducated believer that's truly born again has more wisdom than this one, this scoffer. Don't forget that, okay? Don't forget that. And so, um, we, we have to understand what's, what's the point? What's the big deal? I'm ignorant. I've said this before. We're all ignorant of a lot of things. If somebody asked me to wire a breaker panel in my house, you know, I might have put a receptacle in, but if they said... Wire your whole house electrical, electrically. Building a new house. I don't know how to do that. Or drop a transmission out of a house, out of a car, and, and fix it, okay? Not me, okay? I'll get bucked to do that, maybe. And, uh, but, you know, if you want me to patch some sheetrock, I can do that. You know, put some baseboards down and, or install a new door and caulk and paint it, I can do that. There's a lot of things, there are many things that I'm ignorant about. But the difference with these people, it, it says that for this, they are willingly ignorant. Now there's a difference in there. Because that has to do with your will. That has to do with, I could show you, but you don't want to know. God could reveal it to you, but you choose not to. That has to do with the will. I'm willingly ignorant. Okay? And there are these scoffers, he specifically says, are this way. Again, you could go to a lost person and share the gospel and they might get saved. They were ignorant. I remember on the first, one of the, uh, first mission trip I ever went on, I was going to the Philippines, 1991, to Manila. Flying on an airplane, we flew to San Francisco and then taking a plane from there to Honolulu, to Guam, to Manila. And I remember being on the airplane and I'm thinking, I want to be a witness for Christ, not just when I get to Manila. And you know how it's awkward and you want to start a conversation. You'll be on a plane from, from San Francisco to Hawaii. Honolulu is a long flight, all right? And I said, hey, can I, have you ever heard uh, the gospel? Has anybody ever shared the gospel with you? It was a young lady from California traveling out there. She had not heard any of it. I don't know if she was pulling my leg or what. I couldn't believe it. But she, she did not know any of it. And so she, to me, wasn't willingly ignorant. She really was ignorant about it. And I talked to her about it. And, you know, she listened politely and she was interested in everything like that. But some people know all about it, 
And they want nothing to do. Those like in Romans chapter 1 that are mentioned that when they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God. They didn't know Him as Savior. They knew God. They knew enough about God to surrender to Him. They had the picture in front of them. When they knew that of Him and had some amount of heavenly Holy Ghost revelation of the truth of God, they didn't glorify Him as God, but they turned and worshipped the creature, creature more than the Creator. And God turned them over. That would be a scoffer. There's no bottom to that. We see in Romans 1, like in Sodom and Gomorrah, where do they fall to? What's the bottom of sin? I don't know. It just keeps going. Okay? It drops on off into, into hell eventually. But these scoffers, um, and they're, they're, here's an obvious mistake. And any believer in here, these newest believers, our children in, in this church, they're truly born again, can look at verse 4. And with these scoffers say, where's the promise of his coming? Coming for since the fathers fell asleep or since our ancestors years gone by lived and died and lived and died and lived and died. Since that, you know, that cycle of life over and over again, since that took place from creation, all <laughs> things have continued the same. That's that's obviously not true. There was a flood that destroyed every living, breathing, breathing thing on this planet except what was on the ark. That's not continuing as business as usual. And that's why it says they're willingly ignorant. And, and uh, that, again, it has to do, it's a, it's a rebellion. It's, uh, it's an attitude that they, they don't want to know even if you tell them the truth. They're not going to want to know. And, and that, that's where a man is responsible. That each individual person is responsible for their own belief or not belief. Belief or unbelief. God is willing to save every man. There won't be ever a person that lives and breathes on this planet that goes through life and dies apart from Christ and goes to hell that at some point in their life didn't have the opportunity to come to Jesus. He would be unjust to do that. I would have to, I would have to, if I didn't believe that, I would have to revert to become a Calvinist. Okay? But the Bible says, that, again, in Romans, that even nature, God has revealed His eternal power and Godhead. And that's pretty specific. His eternal power and Godhead, like the Trinity and His deity, He's revealed it in creation. Now, is it fully revealed, his name, Jesus, and so forth, and a cross? No, it's not. But if men would believe and follow that light, then the next light would come. We're always responsible to walk in the knowledge, spiritual knowledge that we have. And these scoffers do not walk in the spiritual knowledge that they have. Instead, they, they turn on it. They rend it. They come against it. And, and deny it and ridicule it and so forth. And so uh, Paul even said, Lord, deliver me from uh, unreasonable men. There are people that are just unreasonable. You could show them, you could lay it out before them, and they're not going to believe. And that, that was the way that the Pharisees were. I, I think about this all the time. They said, show us a sign. He had been doing all kinds of signs. They watched him. They watched him raised Lazarus from the dead after he was dead for four days and his body was decomposing and stinking. They were standing there watching him say, Lazarus, come forth. 
And he that was dead and bound came forth and was alive again. He said, unloose him. You know, let him go. Take those burial clothes off of him. And immediately they turned to one another and conspired how they could kill Jesus. That's amazing to me. I guarantee you just the average lost person there was amazed. But some were scoffers. And that hard heart of rebellion. That's why Jesus said it's an evil heart of unbelief. Not just unbelief, an evil heart of unbelief. So keep that in mind. We're talking about in the last days, there's going to be these scoffers. And so I just want to read one verse. You don't have to turn there. But I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds. Who has the God of this world? That's Satan. Who has he blinded uh, the minds of? It says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. To me, I get the picture here that they chose not to believe. And then Satan came along and blinded them. They were already lost. We're all born in sin, right? Lost men are lost men. You have to be saved. You're not born saved. You're born lost and have to be saved. But every lost person is not necessarily demon-possessed. Every lost person is not necessarily a scoffer. You, you understand what my point but he says that if our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost, specifically in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So here you've got somebody, they're already in the world and they're of the world. But when the, it sounds to me like when the, some amount of light or gospel is brought to them, they don't believe it. And because they don't believe it, Satan comes and blinds them further. That's what it looks like to me, that he blinds them further and our gospel is hid to them. So, have all things continued the, the way they were uh, from the beginning of creation? Obviously not. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Now here's what the, verse 5. What are they ignorant of? What specifically is Peter talking about? Well, this is what he's talking about. That by the word of God, the heavens which were of old and the earth. Okay, so there was an old earth in heaven. Standing out of the water, he's still describing it, out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now. So there's a different heaven and earth now. By the same word, that, that's the same as the word of God, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I don't think we're going to get beyond these two verses tonight, but uh, let's think about it for a second. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.3, through faith we understand. This is how we understand. This is how I'm not, and you're not an evolutionist. I might have been at one time, okay? <coughs> This is how I'm not now. And I didn't have to check my brain out and deny a bunch of reality in order to become a Christian. The Bible says through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Now what Peter's saying as well? I'm quoting from Hebrews 11.3. So that things which are seen, we look around, we see physical things, oceans and skies and animals and trees and land and all that. 
so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. How does anyone understand that? How can I lay hold on it? I understand it by faith. By faith. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed. It's not a fairy tale. It's a reality. And I understand it to be true by faith and God who spoke it. You know fairy tales. We've heard fairy tales. Jack and the Beanstalk and all kinds of things that are fairy tales. It's a fairy tale. Alright? But we understand through faith that God created all things. And so, not only did He create all things, let's look at this Scripture real quickly. Turn with me to Hebrews. Uh, and we'll go back to 2 Peter 3 in a moment. Hebrews chapter 1. I love this Scripture right here. Hebrews 1, at the uh, beginning of the chapter. God at sundry or different times in different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, who He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Another mention of creation and Jesus being the one creator. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He made all things, right? John chapter 1. Here He says, by whom He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and express image of His person, and listen, upholding all things by the word of His power. So, well, I've studied that before. When He upholds it all, He didn't only speak it into being. Genesis 1, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let the uh, earth bring forth, you know, trees bearing herbs and fruits and reproduce after their kind. And it was so in the evening and the day. And He goes on through uh, all of creation. He spoke it and He created it. Hebrews 11.3 says that all the things that we see were created out of things and framed by the Word of God by things which we don't see, which did not appear. He spoke it into existence. But not only did He speak it into existence, Something has to keep it going. You know, understand? It's the sun coming up every day and the earth revolving and heat and warmth and clean water and, you know, fresh air and, and, and reproduction of animals and life. And something has to keep it going. There's a lot of energy and power to keep it going. You split one atom, you've got the nuclear bomb or an atomic bomb, okay? The power that keeps it all together. And he says he upholds it all by the word of His power. I just love that. It, it, I like to think sometimes uh, about just the, the bigness of God and how, how awesome He is. And it's just uh, amazing what the Lord's done. But this, this, uh, this planet is being upheld by the word of God. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's another wonderful scripture. Psalm 33, 9. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Who but God, right? Can, can just speak it into being. So these scoffers are willingly ignorant and they think they say that all things have continued as they were, but there was this thing called a flood <coughs> in Noah's day that the Bible speaks much of and it speaks in, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 6. It speaks about the flood and the Lord says the whole earth has corrupted itself. I'm going to destroy every living, breathing thing. And He brings a flood upon the earth. But Noah found grace. Thee have I seen righteous in my sight. 
And Noah was perfect in all his generations and feared God. And God saved him and spared him. And so this flood comes and everything is destroyed. So it's not the same. It hasn't continued since the beginning of creation. And they know this and they're willingly ignorant of it. Okay, they would the scoffer would say, hey, look, there's no evidence that God has ever intervened in the affairs of men. We don't we don't see any evidence of it. We see we see uh, natural selection and we see uh, and what a scientist would believe. And I forgot what the, the, the theory is called that the systems that are on the planet have always been the same. In other words, the way things work on the planet have all this is the way that things have always worked on the planet. So they're judging, they look back and they see, well, in our lifetime, it sure hasn't changed. It's always been this way. It's always going to be this way and so forth. And, and it's, a, it's a, a fallacy because God can step down and intervene anytime he wants. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah on a smaller scale. Did he not intervene? Did the people of Sodom and Gomorrah know that that morning, that day, that it was going there, there was going to be so such a? It wasn't like yesterday. You understand what I mean? And the people that Bible says they knew it not in Noah's day until the flood came. That's scary, really, when you think about it. He was a preacher of righteousness, building this ark in a dry, on the dry land for 120 years, a preacher of righteousness. And they mocked and they scoffed. By faith, he built the ark to the saving of his soul and his household. And it says they knew it not, Jesus said. When he's talking about, as in the days of Noah, so shall be when the Son of Man comes. They knew it not until the flood came. It's scary. They look up. This wasn't some flood like one we had two years ago. I looked in my front yard and, and I thought, we're high and dry. Everything's good. And uh, y'all come over and stay at our house if you need a place to stay. And then I looked out there about 9 o'clock at night. And it was bubbling out of our front drains like a, a swimming pool or a bathtub filling up really fast. Now the street's covered. we got to get out. we got to get John out. we got to get out of here. And it came up, okay? But it's not going to be like... The, the, the flood in Noah's day was not like that. The fountains of the... Deep broke up. There were fountains like there are today, but maybe more. I don't know if it was different. Under the earth, springs of water and so forth that burst forth like almost like a volcano would shoot lava and they're breaking forth and water's coming. Besides the, the deluge coming down 40 days and nights from all over the planet, it was a violent thing. It was earthquakes. I mean, mountains were splitting. Continents were being shifted. I mean, it was serious. And they didn't know it. He's preaching and preaching and preaching. When they knew it, it was too late. And the scoffers think, everything's just continuing the same. There's nothing nothing different. And it says, whereby the world, verse 6, that then was being overflowed with water, perished. I want to read something uh, that Job wrote. Job, the Bible scholars say, was a contemporary of Abraham. He lived in that day. Okay? And it says this, they spend their days in wealth. He's talking about those that didn't fear God in his day. This is after the flood. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. 
Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? That's what the scoffers said. And they said in the moment, they just go to the grave. They live their life. They go after their wealth. What is God that we should call upon him? We're not interested in any of that. Bam, they're dead. They go to the grave. Too late, right? And these scoffers think they're so wise. I say it all the time. They think they're so permanent. Institutions and monuments that are built in schools and countries and governments. They're so strong. They're going to just last forever and ever. Our individual, when they're young especially, you think you're just going to live forever. But you're not going to live forever. The rich farmer that's spoken of in Luke, this God called him a fool. Jesus called him a fool. This night your soul is going to be required of you. Then who's going to get all those things that you've laid up for yourself? You said you'd eat, drink, and be merry. He said this is like everybody that is rich on this earth but not rich towards God. Not, they don't have a heart for the Lord to lay up their treasures in heaven. Job knew that. Everybody that fears God knows it. You understand what I'm saying? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And guess what? More will come. And I've even heard a preacher say, well, it's the beginning of wisdom, but we kind of graduate from there. I totally disagree. There's a fear of God that we have all of our lives as a believer. I'm not afraid of God, but I have a fear of God. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. The salvation of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Uh, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Secret means intimate fellowship. They just need to study the Word of God. It, that's not the only verse about the, the beginning of knowledge. That's not, only, not the only scripture in the Bible about the fear of God. Jesus said, I'll tell you who to fear. Don't fear Him to destroy the body, but afterwards has no power to destroy the soul. I'll tell you who to forgive. Fear Him to destroy both body and soul in hell. You know who that is? That's God Almighty. Fear the Lord. And so everybody that has this true fear of God is going to have this wisdom, this simple wisdom and truth, understanding of truth. And, and we understand things haven't always been the same. The, the scoffer is saying not only is, he's not coming back again, but if he's not coming back again, then I can live as I want to live. And we're going to be bringing this to a close. This is really what it comes down to. It says... Uh, they, they invert, back in verse 3, they're walking after their own lust. We're walking, maybe not perfectly, but we're walking in the Spirit. We're walk through, walking after the Lord. That desire is genuine. We don't always live it perfectly, but the, the desire to walk and live with God and for God is real. These scoffers are walking after their own lust. And so their scoffing includes the fact that they don't want Him because, as I said in the beginning, he's going to interfere with their life and their lifestyle and their sin. It's evil. It's not just ignorance. There are some math theories, plenty of them I don't know. There's all kinds of things I don't know. But this is different. God has revealed himself to men. Some, you say, what about the little guy out in the jungles of Africa? Through, through nature, he's revealed enough of God God would be unjust if he hadn't have done this. Enough of himself that if happily, says in Acts, they might seek after him. And he'll show them the next step and the next step. Read a book about Samuel Morse if you haven't. That's an exciting book. He was in a dark jungle in Africa by himself. Nothing but uh, cannibals in his own family and all around him. 
He got saved. Alright? He got born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. It, God does it. And He can do it. Let's just keep reading a little bit more. Um, we'll close with 6 and 7. The world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So that whole world perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, we read about how God spoke it in the creation, and then He upholds it all by the word of His power. Created it and sustains it. By the same word are kept in store. So there's a new world. There's a new, this planet is not exactly like the one before the flood. It's different. Okay? It's different in some ways. But this world that's now is being not only kept by the, by the Lord, by His Word, but it's being kept for a specific purpose. It's stored up. You have things you store. If you're a hunter, you keep your hunting stuff in a closet and it's stored there and you break it out in hunting season or whatever. This earth, this whole planet is being stored by the Lord, by His Word. That prophetic Word is going to be fulfilled, which we're going to start reading about next week, that the first earth, heaven and earth, was overflowed by a flood and perished. This Word is being kept in store, not for a flood, for a judgment of fire. This is not the earth that you and I are going to inhabit throughout eternity. This earth will be here all the way through the rapture, tribulation, second coming, the millennium. And at the end of the millennium, this earth is going to be refined by fire. We're going to talk about it next week. The Bible tells us that. There will be a new heaven, but this one is being reserved. For a specific judgment. The Lord put his bow in the sky in Noah's day after the flood and said, I'll never destroy the earth again with a flood. But he is going to destroy this present world with fire. He, and it's, going to, it's going to be a judgment. And in the judgment, there will also be a refining or a purification. We're all taint of sin. And anything that Satan and, and unsaved men or anything ever had to, to do with this planet is going to be so refined that all traces of that are gone. It's going to be so new and so refined. And he says, wherein dwells righteousness. And no one who ever made a lie or defiles or sin will ever set foot on it. Isn't that exciting? That the Lord has that reserved for us. But I just want to, uh, to close with, with one, one thought. I was reading a book by F.B. Meyer. And uh, he said... The day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And it speaks of that. The Bible speaks that perdition is an eternal destruction, a ruin, a waste. Perdition. Somebody goes into perdition. It's an eternal ruin. You're done. All right? And sinners bring that upon themselves. Well, F.B. Meyer said there is a person, and he's using that in the sense of the Lord, a personality. There is a person and a will behind the slight veil of this present life. And that's what the scoffers are ignorant of. They don't see it. They don't, they don't know in their hearts that though I can't see Him, I know Jesus Christ is real. I believe in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He's here. I remember witnessing to my father right after Dee and I got engaged I went to tell him that uh, I was engaged. So I'm sitting, sitting with him on the couch 
and somehow or another, it, it coincided with everything in my life with the Lord as well. You know, about me, that was around the same time I really sold out to the Lord completely, finishing up at LSU and, and all of that. And so I just felt that there was a need to, uh, I know the Lord was prompting me to share that part of my life as well. I just, oh, your son's getting married. You know, who am I marrying? Why, why do I know this is the one for me and that kind of thing? It was all Jesus. And so I talked to him about the Lord and he's just scratching his head. And he wasn't like angry or anything, but he, he just didn't get it. He just didn't see the Lord. He, you know, it's just, it's foreign to him. Uh, the reality of the Lord like that. And I remember very clearly saying, Dad, Jesus is more real to me than you are sitting on that couch right there. And that's the truth. So like F.B. Meyer says, what the scoffer doesn't see is behind this thin veil call it that, of this life. There's one behind it all who's holding it up by the word of His power, who has a plan for this life, for His that are His people, His sons and daughters, and His church. It's going to be glorious. And for those that don't and continue to shake their fists at God in unbelief and rebellion, He has a plan for them. Both are going to be fulfilled. They're going to be fulfilled in this time. It's going to be fulfilled perfectly. It's going to be fulfilled like His Word says. It's going to be definite. It's going to be complete. There's no in-between state. It's going to be just like He said for the believers and just like He said for the lost. And just like He said for this planet that we're standing on right now. We need to live for God, right? And for eternity. Y'all stand with me tonight. Bible says God has appointed Paul on Mars Hill because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. There's a day, okay, by that one man in that where he has given assurance to all men and that he has raised him from the dead. God has an appointed day where Christ will judge and all of this is going to come to pass. And I'm, I'm excited about knowing the Lord. I know that behind this veil, there is a real God. I know Him, you know Him, and walk with Him. I want Him to be more and more real to me in this earth around me, this present world with all of its screaming and hollering and shouting and shaking its fist to fade. Not that I'm ignorant, not that I'm in denial, but that Christ increases and this other stuff decreases. And I'm focused on the Lord and His will, what He has for my life, and it's going to be wonderful. I thought the Parkview Bible study today, only two guys showed up. But I told them, put yourself in God's hands. He's got them. Put yourself. You're not getting the start in time. You thought you should have been the start and shortstop. In the last minute, somebody transferred in. This week, you know, a couple of guys from Catholic High come over. And they're going to step out there and maybe take your spot. And you're bummed out about it. And you don't think it's fair. You don't think it's right. Do you know the Lord? Well, if you know the Lord, trust Him. Put yourself in His hands and believe that He's got it. And maybe you won't be the start and shortstop. Maybe you will be. But I'll tell you what, you're going to have the life God wants you to have. Put yourself in His hands. And I just encourage us as a body tonight to do that. To put ourselves in the hand of God. These altars are open. 